This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson. And today we have Rick Olson joining the podcast. Rick is the lead equipper uh, at Beacon in the city of Orange, which is in Orange County, uh, this beautiful place we call Southern California. And so, Rick, it's it's great to have you on the podcast today, uh, especially as we get into hopefully sharing stories of people uh, leading their churches towards mission and gospel influence in their in the places and in the cities that God's put them. And so, Rick, it's really great having you on uh, just to share a bit of you and your church's story. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And so just to we love to introduce people to real life human beings, not just uh, talking heads. And so, Rick, maybe you could introduce yeah, who you are, uh, what your church is like, what Beacon is like and, and your family and just what God's doing in, in this season of your life. Yeah, I had been a missionary in uh, Europe for a couple of years, and I came back to California. Um, I've been married for 20 years. I have two kids, one starting college in the fall, so that's a transition for us as a family. Yeah. And uh, we'd love to travel together, love to study history, especially family history, kind of do some of the, it's like a family crossword puzzle, so that's fun for us. Nice. And so is Olsen a Danish name, a Swedish <laughs> heritage, like where? No, it's actually Norwegian. Norwegian. Nice. Yeah. My uh, great grandparents came out with the migrations in the 1800s out to California. Wow. So long time Californian. Yep. Yeah. So you're like the classic Scandinavian Californian. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. Well, just to kind of dive in, uh, describe at least your church's initial vision kind of in the early days and how you've kind of organized yourselves to see that vision played out? So I actually stepped into a church plant that was in the process of um, failing miserably. (laughs) So I stepped in and uh, found that they had a great group of people who loved to be together on Sundays. They had a lot of uh, men's groups and women's groups and midweek on-campus studies and a lot of things that drew people to the building so that they could be together. Hmm. But they were in a neighborhood, and, and literally nobody knew that they were there. It was uh, within a very short period, of, within about six months, I knew that I was in, it felt like I was in a bad twilight zone where I got stuck in something that I, I just, there was nothing going to happen there. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get people out of that building. Hmm. I think maybe a lot of churches find themselves there, right, where we kind of have organized ourselves around trying to attract people into the building, yeah. you know, like, and even I think churches do a lot of great things of trying to like throw harvest festivals or Christmas programs and things like that, or good yeah. stuff with kids or, you know, athletics, things like that. And then, you know, churches sort of focus on maintaining those programs to attract more and more people. What did you and your team as you were kind of like seeing that happen, how, what did you do in those early days as you felt like, man, I'm in this twilight zone. Yeah. How did you uh, kind of lead towards those convictions of a change in discipleship? Well, we, we kind of had to come to some reality, you know, the first step in any 
of the 12 step programs is realizing <laughs> there's a God and, and you've got a problem. So you have right. to admit you've got a problem. Uh, and we had to realize that people were addicted to Sunday. They were addicted, mm. you know, if, if you don't do Sunday, you don't count. Uh, if you don't have, uh, uh, the, the Bible open and someone teaching on a, in a midweek group and everybody's sitting in a, an audience style room listening to a teacher, then it, it's not real. But there, we had to mm. get them to realize that it wasn't just about the academics of the faith. We're, we're not just there to, to train them to do that, but uh, it had to be about transformation. We mm. had to get people really, and this is kind of a, a scary thing to say sometimes, but they had an idolatrous view, I think, of scripture. Hmm. And it was about, you know, every word and jot and tittle and memorizing it and studying it and knowing all the the, the pieces of it. And uh, if you don't do it that way, uh, then you're probably a pagan. So hmm. that's a hard thing to, to own up to. Right. And so you then you kind of find yourselves trying to own that and admit that you're having a problem. Maybe speak to a little bit of... How, how did you lead your church? Because I think it's one thing for like a, a staff team or a leadership team to understand you have a problem. But how, how did you like graciously or maybe, you know, ungraciously, how, how did you help your church kind of see a deeper vision of discipleship beyond, like you were saying, just these programs and Bible dolatry, you know, Father, Son and Holy Bible? How did you how did you move beyond that? <laughs> Part of it is we had to, I had to kind of use their addictions against them. So I wasn't <laughs> going to get them to stop having Bible studies, but I could guide them in what they were studying. And I could also guide that on Sunday mornings in terms of the conversations we were having hmm. together as we gathered for worship. So began using those kinds of things to talk about what it meant. What you know? What is a missionary, and hmm. uh, what are the what are the ways that God has gifted you? Part of it was we had to get people to understand that they actually had gifts that God had given hmm. them, divine gifts uh, that were not meant to just be labeled, but actually used for the sake of the kingdom. And uh, as they got that, and we began kind of as they looked at their gifts and their shape to be able to understand that well, maybe God has a specific mission for me as an individual uh, in a part of this larger community. And how can I own up to that and use that for the sake of the kingdom? Hmm. I really enjoy that. I think that's something I often describe as uh, creating gateway drugs, uh, which <laughs> might be just from my <laughs> own like life background. And, uh, but we're using the same language. You know, it's good of like, <laughs> hey, if we could just give, you know, like give them this like little like do your Bible study, but then ask, well, what implications does this have for us as we love one another, as we love our neighbors? That's just sort of this small like gateway. And that's honestly even a lot of the resources we make at Saturate, especially the the Bible study curriculums yeah. are all sort of geared towards that that idea of, well, people are going to meet in their Bible study groups or Sunday school classes. What if we infiltrated that area? Exactly. Yeah. Maybe, Rick, you could give us a little bit of your your timeline and how you've kind of paced these changes over the last several years. Uh, maybe even first, like when was it, how long ago was it that you became part of, of leading this church plant? Yeah. So I actually started with them in the midst of kind of that crisis era about 12 years ago. Yeah. And then uh, 10 years ago, we actually 
um, kind of did something traumatic uh, because of the after that six month period of time when I uh, just was you know <laughs> the Lord and I were really wrestling. <laughs> I was wrestling, and you know, the Lord wasn't, but I was really wrestling with Him on how do I understand what I thought You told me. Hmm. Because this is this thing is a failure. So we actually shut down. Uh, we we had a building. We got out of the building, and we shut down. And we went into a, about a year long training process with hmm. our people to begin to learn a completely different culture and way of doing things. Hmm. And uh, we we changed our name. We changed our mission statements. Started talking about the idea that uh, you know we have a job to do and, and and that if the kingdom truly is present, mm-hmm. not only us as individuals should be changed, but the community around us, we can expect a legitimate change in the community. Mm-hmm. The schools should be better. The you know, neighborhood should be safer. There should be more justice present at where we are. Um, if the kingdom is present and, and, and mm-hmm. it's present through us. So how does that happen? And so we began talking about that and changed the way we did um, our Bible studies became life groups, which eventually became, you know, go, we call go communities. Hmm. We established some all church uh, missional initiatives that people could do together. They didn't feel like they had to take the lead on that we could hmm. begin kind of stepping our toes into the water as a group. And then uh, also at the same time, those things were happening. It, it helped us to uh, gain some name recognition in the community in terms of our presence, actually, uh, hmm. that that really was the way that we were able to kind of break through some of the, uh, oh, you, there's somebody standing there <laughs> and yeah. it's a church and they're making a difference. <laughs> uh, part of the thing too, honestly, we had to do is we had to break our own addictions to control hmm. as leaders and uh, clear the church calendar, stop requiring them to come to a place so that we can control the content and, and hmm. stuff like that. And uh, so that was some of the beginning stuff that we did. Yeah. So I, I think I, I hear you saying a lot there of, you know, one, uh, having to come to this crisis point or or maybe more positively this faith point that you could uh, drastically change things and the church would still be there. Yeah. But also the faith point of, which I think is the bigger, if you have faith to see the whole, you know, city and your whole area transformed by the gospel, then yeah. having faith that God can transform your church is probably incorporated in that, which <laughs> I think is, which, but I think for a pastor, maybe you could just sort of describe that. Like what were some of the, the struggles in making that kind of decision, you know, where like the, the yeah. faith hitting the ground sort of stuff. Yeah, it was, um, they were core, I think core pastoral issues of, uh, being able to recognize that when Jesus said, I will build my church, hmm. that, that means it's his church. And that if people come or go or stay, it's not, you know, isn't, isn't my job. My, hmm. my job isn't to wrestle them in down to, a, a, you know, sign a covenant where they're going to be with us forever. And it's right. so freeing to realize that if, if God's calling people to come or go and that the kingdom is way bigger than uh, the sign on my, you know, front door or wherever we end up meeting that, that God's doing stuff in a lot of different places. And if I can begin to look at the other mm-hmm. congregations in our city as part of the same franchise that I'm a part of, and as long as they're a part of the franchise, we're doing good. Right. Then, you know, our worship styles and, and we can partner together on reaching the same people, but more effectively based on how God has shaped our specific community. Mm-hmm. So um, just being able to release uh, it's God's church. It's it's not mine. Was was a huge deal. 
Right. Yeah. And I think that, that definitely ties into the second thing that I heard you as you're sharing the story is, is that idea of control. Yes. Uh, even just like pastorally is so challenging, I think at least even lead churches of missional communities. And there's still that, that temptation to say, wait, how can we control every, every missional community? How can we control yeah. every DNA group, every mission in, excursion or anything like that? So I think that, you know, what you're saying about God being in control is definitely a big piece of that. But, but what else would you add to, to pastors out there who are struggling with that reality? Well, I'm part of that that control thing. It is scary, you know. It's like opening the floor to, at a prayer meeting. You know, you have no idea what someone's <laughs> going to say. But when you do, some beautiful things happen. Mm-hmm. And when we first announced this vision to the congregation in terms of, you know, people having their own mission, it didn't have to be something that was approved by the mission committee or something like that. And someone actually stood up and said how are we going to control that? You know, it was, and it was a very big, like a reality check that, that we don't have to control that. And some beautiful things happen when people get to go out without a, a, an embroidered t-shirt with the church's logo on it to uh, knock on people's doors. But when they actually just start loving on, on their neighbors, that some beautiful things happen that are mm. unexpected and unplanned and, and those kinds of things that are, you know, in the realms of, of God's control and God's kingdom and not in terms of our, our vision or our own strategies. Yeah, that, that really is quite the shift. Uh, I think sometimes people think of the shift towards missional communities being about how can we change our programs, but what you're describing is a shift, even just like pastorally in your own faith and, and pursuit of following following God faithfully in the role that God's put you in. Yeah, if you can't do that as a pastor, there's no way you can lead a congregation to do that. Right, yeah. And it, and it seems too, like in your story that you had a couple of things that you try to do just giving people rails to run on yeah. or, or giving people a baseline so that they can then be creative. What are, what were some of those like kind of crucial sort of baseline or uh, you also talked about, you know, collective mission experiences too. What were some of those and how would you encourage others? So we started to do a, a few things. We went out to the city and just kind of watched and listened to see where they needed help and hmm. uh, where were some of the places where, we could partner with them. And one of them was, amazingly enough, our city has a very traditional tree lighting service that is it has 350 voice choir and a large orchestra. And all the music is Christmas carols. There's no Frosty the Snowman or anything. It's all about Jesus. And they read the gospel mm-hmm. and they talk about, you know, they don't just read the birth narratives. They, they read through the death, the resurrection, and then they say, you know, mm-hmm. he's coming back again. And yet no churches were present at this thing because, you know, it was Advent and we have our women's Christmas team, we have our children's musical and, you know, there's all these different things. And, and yet there's 10,000 people in our community gathering to hear this thing that that was significant to them in a, in a way that I don't think they even understood, but it, it mm. made them feel like a part of something bigger themselves. And yet the church was too busy to be present. So we stepped mm. in to help and to, to staff it because they were it was right as the economy was turning south. And so we stepped in to kind of offer help. And at first, they didn't even know how to receive our help. Um, they, mm. re- they actually charged us money to help. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then as we uh, got together, you know, we after the first one, we, we said, okay, we want to do this again. We want to make it better. And they said, well, 
the economy's going bad. We, we need more volunteers. So we got more volunteers. And, and then uh, finally, I just said to them, listen, two things. If you don't charge me, I can bring more to the table. And, you know, we want to <laughs> we want to make this an awesome event. So what can we do? And um, they gave us two full city blocks of space to uh, run events and stuff for free that were, again, we, we try to be a little missional on them. It wasn't just you know, you get to ride the train, the kids get to ride the train, but the kids get to, we started going to all the churches in the city and collected a, a fund that was distributed among charities and whoever rode the train got to vote on uh, they got a mm-hmm. ticket instead of buying a $5 ticket. Uh, they got to, they got a free ticket. They got to vote on where this money went in the community. So all of a sudden they had a little bit of ownership on, you know, this, this wow. charity in, in the city and stuff like that. So very quickly that became a huge deal. Now we've got eight congregations that are helping with us with it. And uh, we got a statewide award from the state of California on it because of the way that mm-hmm. it's uh, improved the, the program. But all of a sudden that, and, and I tell you that because that in itself is a, it's just a, a great thing. But what it did yeah. was the city learned to trust us. And hmm. within six months of that, the homeless crisis here in California started getting out of control. And the police department called and said, hey, we need some help. And so it's opened some doors now that so of trust. And, and several times yeah. the city has been able to call. But that also gave people the, the ability to, to first try it and realize what being out there can do in terms of Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our statements was that uh, city leadership would be dependent on the the resources of the body of Christ in our city. And that meant two things. One, mm-hmm. I had to have partners from the other congregations in the city. And two, that's a pretty big deal for city leadership to depend on right. non-civic organization for resources. <laughs> and uh, so we had to create value. And, and within a couple of years, we had a huge turnaround in uh, they invite us to the table mm. on a lot of issues now because uh, they've learned to trust what we're mm. able to do. And and not that we're coming with a uh, track in the backhand that at the end of every conversation, we're going to ask you if you want to become a Christ follower. Yeah. Yeah. So much good stuff there. Of one is like uh, the picture of the church that you described in the beginning is people at this building all the time and nobody in the city knew they existed. Yes. And then at the end, it's like, well, we're now working with all these other churches and the cities, you know, letting us use these two city blocks for these moments where we're like, where the, the city like is dependent on us yeah, now yeah. to be here. Uh, but also like all those people that were part of your con- congregation now uh, seeing like the life in their city as life on mission yeah. uh, is really awesome. Yeah. And uh, maybe as, as we kind of wrap up here. Uh, what are some things that you and your team, you know, kind of looking back over the 12 years, wish you would have done differently as you took a church uh, made of people kind of addicted to, 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 you know, the events and now where you are now, what do you wish you would have done differently? And kind of looking back to what, you know, what would you have definitely done? Like, you know, as you, as you speak to pastors kind of in your own situation, like what are the things to avoid? What are the things to definitely do? I think um, one of the places that I needed to kind of get a grip is, you know, we live in this McDonald's culture where everything is instant. And I just needed Mm. to wrap my head around the idea that this is long-term. So this isn't something that, you know, even in a year or two years is going to be automatically changed. This is something that's going to take some, some time. And particularly with the addictions that our Christian culture wrestles with trying to, 
be okay with the fact that people are going to call you all kinds of pagan postmodern uh, <laughs> kinds of things. And that uh, in the midst of that, you're just going to have to sit in that for a while until things change. And mm. some people, they'll get it right away and hang on to those people. And other people are just going to take years. You know, again, we've been at this for, for 10 years in this particular phase of it. And uh, I just had one of my elders and leaders of one of our community groups. He finally just got the idea that uh, we need to get into smaller DNA style, style groups to disciple people. We can't just do the, the lecture Bible studies anymore. And hmm. I've been saying that, and he's been reading it, studying it, and agreeing to it, not in his head, but he finally, his core, got like why that's yeah. important. And so just hmm. the reality that it takes time. Yeah. And that, that's huge. Yeah, I think that that's so good. And uh, I was actually, I was just talking to a pastor this morning over breakfast on how often we as leaders experience, you know, like 30 epiphany moments that have led us to where we are and where we're trying to lead our church. But then we expect people to just go into like an eight week sermon series or eight week Bible study and come out with the same yeah. epiphanies we've had over 20 years. We want them to have them over eight weeks. Yes. And sign the double line and do it perfectly. Yeah, exactly. And to do it, do it exactly right. But but really, there's this constant process of knowing what's true, believing what's true, being convicted by it. But then there's still this gap that exists, even after the conviction phase of actually doing it. And I think that, praise God, what we know in the gospel is that Jesus is so faithful and patient with us. Uh, he doesn't come to it and say, hey, I told you once, like get with the program. Yeah. He is actually so patient in pursuing and retelling, calling back his disciples over and over again. And so I think that it kind of leaves us, uh, hopefully with the heart, to to trust Jesus to do that with his disciples as well, because they're not ours. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's so good, Rick. And um, are there any uh, resources or, or helpful helpful things that you kind of got your hands on? through this journey that, that might be good for other people? One of the great things is the field guide, the Cedric field guide, because of the, it's a, you know, a daily investment into the lives of your people when you don't have to be present. And that's helped in that uh, Bible study addiction phase as people mm-hmm. want something in their hands that they can study and talk about and stuff like that. So that's been super good. Um, another one, especially in terms of helping people to understand their own, shape and uh, the way God's called them it has been uh, church resource ministries has a, a thing called awaken uh, which takes and takes them through kind of understanding that mm. God uses uh, your past to shape you and to call you and to form you and and uh, it's really a beautiful powerful thing and that that's a, a huge tool that we've used as well yeah I love both those tools kind of partial to the first one but that second <laughs> one is Awesome. It's yeah. fantastic. And those are those are I think that's great like resources. Even as you step into that phase of of letting people experience this freedom and trusting Jesus to advance his kingdom through people. I think those two are are perfect for that. So yeah, thanks so much, Rick, for for joining us, for sharing uh, part of your story. Definitely would love to have you back on sometime and talk about 
city movements and, the, and all that collaborative work you're doing with other congregations, because that's a big piece of our heart, too. And yeah. yeah, thanks for joining us. And and I'm sure this is really encouraging to all of our listeners out there, uh, so many of which are pastors or find themselves in churches uh, that might not look like the ideal they've painted in their head, but uh, the, the the congregation that people find themselves in is, is filled with saints yeah. that, that God has made holy uh, by the power of the gospel. And hopefully there's some encouragement for people in that long process of, of 10 years, of 20 years, of 30 years, faithfully walking with people, uh, being that catalyst that keeps asking, well, what's next? Like, what is God calling us next into? Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. My honor. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Anytime. And that, that'll that'll conclude our podcast. As always, everybody, uh, if you've enjoyed this, uh, if it's been helpful, please uh, share it with others. And if you uh, have the opportunity to give us a rating on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, that also helps people find us uh, because we believe what we're doing here in these conversations is truly life-giving to people. Not trying to become famous, but we are trying to get the word out. And thanks for listening. And if you have any questions or ideas or stories to tell yourself, please contact us. Uh, You can email us at hello at saturatetheworld.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, whatever media you're using. You can definitely connect with us through that. Thanks. And we'll be again talking again soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.